This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Giles Brandreth and this is Rosebud. This is the week that sees Valentine's Day. And in celebration, I'm interviewing our first Rosebud couple. It's Claire Balding and her wife, Alice Arnold. Yes, Alice Arnold and her wife, Claire Balding. They're today's Rosebud guests. Claire, of course, one of the UK's actually most trusted as well as loved TV presenters. I think she's presented at seven Olympic Games going to Paris this summer. Also, of course, the Paralympics, Commonwealth Games, Winter Olympics and Crufts. I love a dog. (laughs) The boat race, Trooping the Colour, you name it. So I know Claire. And I also know Alice, because Alice started her career as an actress. Then she became a newsreader and a continuity announcer on Radio 4. She was there for more than 20 years. That's when I first met her, when she was presenting the news on the Today programme. And so I've asked them over to my house in West London, and talking to them together, a slightly different kind of chat, because as well as going back to their first memories, I'm also going to be talking about how Claire and Alice first met, about their relationship now and why it works so well. So, for Valentine's Day, this is a properly romantic, life-affirming episode. Sit back, enjoy, and feel the love. Now you two... Yes. It's the first time we've done this with two people. And um, so it's going to be a little bit different this time. But I want to ask each of you to begin with, what is your very first memory? Starting with you, Alice. Your very first memory of your life. Oh, golly. Well, I know that I don't remember anything before the age of two and a half. Because we moved to Singapore when I was two and a half. And I have no memory of England before that time. So when we were going back to England, when I was coming up to six, I was terrified because I was going somewhere cold and all of that. Um, What do I remember? Oh, okay. One of my very first memories. On a Sunday in Singapore, our family used to take a sandpan out to one of the islands for a picnic lunch. It's a boat. It's a boat. And you'd go with other families. And it was, instead of here going off to the golf club for lunch or whatever, what you used to do is get a sandpan and you'd go out to an island. Anyway, my parents forgot me and left me in the harbour in Singapore. 
And my father was fuming. It's like other people have more than two children and you managed to forget one of yours to my mother. Why he wasn't responsible, I don't know. And uh, they had to come back, turn the sandpan around, come back to pick me up and found me crying on a very old Chinese man's lap in the harbour and he was holding on to me. Um, and that's one, of, that's one of my first memories. Now, unpick that a bit. Why were your parents there? Who were your parents? What were their names? Uh, Hugh Arnold, my father, and he... Uh, was a, a bit of a war hero, was in the Saint-Nazaire raid and got the DSC and the Légion d'honneur. Well done. Um, so, so was he in the was RAF? A, he, no, he was in the Navy. No, and really. he did the big raid on Saint-Nazaire. Saint-Nazaire where they, being a, the a camp, port, a port in, in France. France yeah. And the camp HMS Campbelltown, uh, which was loaded full of explosives, was accompanied by lots of motor launches, MLs and MTBs. My father was in one of those. And ZSC is a Distinguished they, Service Cross. It is. Was there a famous movie and of this? There, there is a film about it. Yeah. But it's called The Greatest Raid of All, and they call charioteers the people who took part in it. And there's a really lovely memorial down at Falmouth, uh, Louis Mountbatten. So I've got the letter framed for my father getting his DSC signed from Louis Mountbatten. So it's, in, it's in our downstairs loo. It's rather it a fine oh. thing to have. So yeah. when my father died, I went through all his stuff, and there was... So much, and I was throwing it all out, and suddenly I just happened to read this one and realised it was a letter signed by Louis Mountbatten, Fantastic. giving him the DSC. So that's your dad. And he meets that's your mum after the war. He meets my mother after the war, and, um, who is she? and she was uh, a bit of an actress and a bit of you know. She went to drama school and she did some acting. Was in the West End briefly, and then she went to work for the Foreign Office because apparently what you did was you went to work for the Foreign Office to to, to marry your boss. And basically, that's exactly what my mother did. So my father went into the foreign office, and my mother was his secretary. And that's why you were in Singapore, because they went. They after way after that, then he was still in the foreign office, and he was in Singapore, and then he came back and was in. So he was in MI six, and then he was in MI five. So he. Basically, so which a war I, hero and spy. Well, I wasn't allowed and to say where he worked for all my childhood, obviously. And then when he died, the Times and the Telegraph did a big obituary for him and, and said, and then we'll talk about his work with MI5. I said, you can't talk about his work with him. No one knows he worked for MI5. And they said, oh, no, it's OK now. We can say that. How oh, fantastic. When did he yes. die? He died in 2013. Did you know him? So, yeah, I did. Yeah, he was the most gorgeous man. He was um, very, very quiet and very kind, and I would have trusted him with anything. Gosh. Yeah. And was their marriage a good marriage? Ooh. <laughs> For the most part, yes. I when mean, I was young, yes. it was very good. Um, did, I mean, did they part at the end? No, no, no. Um, there was a parting at one stage, and then they were back together, and my mother looked after him through all Good. his older age. So, yes, they were they well, loved each other very well much. Done, what was she like as a that person? Way. She was complete opposite of my father. She was <laughs> tall, glamorous, fantastically dressed. I mean, she would stop a party if she walked yeah. in. You just get, And lots of people were quite scared of her as well, I think. But she was... Um, she was very she was fine. Very fine. Well, it, it sounds, it, she sounds like she comes from a different era, as it were, where people like Lord Mountbatten would be in the room and she'd come in and she'd make a statement. She yeah, is there, she, looking at the business. Did, you, did she like you? Oh, did, God, uh, I, well, I adored her. Mm. Ah. Oh, my parents loved Claire because I'd had some both, disasters yeah. before Claire. <laughs> and when Claire came along, it was like, oh, thank God for that. She's found someone decent. And were they brothers and sisters? Are I've, there? Yeah, for you. I've got a brother and one older brother. 
Um, did you go to school? In I a, went to school. An English school? Or was I did. I went to Tanglin Preparatory in Singapore. And uh, when I came back, so I was nearly six when I came back. When was this? And what, what so that would be 1968. Yeah. And I was, because the schooling was rather good in Singapore, I was way ahead of English oh. school. So they would, I was meant to go to sort of a kindergarten type thing and they went well hang on a minute she can already read completely fluently do quite a bit of maths so consequently I was pushed a year up so I was always young so I did my O-levels at 15 my A-levels at 17 which I don't think was necessarily a good thing actually but for the rest of my schooling career because of the start in Singapore I was advanced. And were you conscious of what your father did? Only when I don't know how much I should say. When when I was about 15, something was going on that my father then had to say. And I think some of this was to do with the problems in Ireland as well. So he was suddenly realised he was at risk and therefore you had to we be extra... So there was extra protection I think provided he, for the family. Yes, and I think if you work for, for MI5 or whatever... The idea is you tell your family as little as possible because the more you tell them, the more vulnerable they are. The, le the less they know, the better. And my father would have been absolutely rigid about that. So, but we did have to sort of look under our, under cars and things for a while when things were. were you can feel free bad. to tell me anything. We had Patricia Outram on Rosebud, who is a hundred years old, mm. when she spoke to us, and she said, "I'm not sure the Official Secrets Act will allow this, well, but we got special dispensation apparently at a certain a uh, certain number of years after these events. It is yes. possible. Well, it's I've never brought, and it's that. probably thirty years after." these things happen okay. for you so it's more I think, than 30 years but yeah, I, then that's I, fine. yes it's fine i think you're fine i've just never said it really in public no. before any of that stuff well thank but, you for um, sharing talking to you and is she like this at all you've evoked a world that to me comes almost from an earlier era i see people from a 1950s post-war film with a heroic <laughs> figure of a father well, a rather glamorous mother played yes. by coral brown or somebody elegant Ooh. Yeah, I mean, her her mother and both her parents were gorgeous, but her mother was so funny and not always intentionally so. Uh -huh. And actually, when Anna says, you know, they had servants in Singapore and she doesn't want to sound like she was posh, her mother spoke, as my grandmother did, would have said, you know, various words with very... What's she used to say off. Yes, off. And, and yes. she was, a, my mother in she later did. life became an extra <laughs> on television in the bill. And she was the canteen lady in the bill right, for years. And at one point, and she loved it. She loved all the people. My mother loved people, all people. Mm -hmm. So anyone would do anything for her. You know, the man at the garage, when it, wasn't, when it was a self-service, all of a sudden someone was changing her oil, pumping up her tires no. and doing it. She got everyone to do everything for her. But, and one week in the bill, they said, well, we need a line from the canteen lady. But my mother tried it. They said, absolutely not. not. You cannot speak. You cannot speak. <laughs> yeah, yes. Your accent is Pine so chips for you, yes. 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 Oh, oh, shall I take the custard off? No, so anyway, but people she did was, speak like that. She you listen to the late to Queen Elizabeth II talking in the early 1950s. Mm. Totally different from yes. later. You know, that's the, that's yes. the way a lady of a certain type would have spoken. What have you got from your parents? What of your parents is there in you now as you sit here? I think some really strong values, particularly from my father, who was as moral and as straight mm -hmm. as you could possibly be. 
he also was incredibly wise in terms of um, in dealing with conflict. So my father was really, really calm in really difficult situations. And one of his phrases, which was always, if you're not sure what to do and you're, and you're sort of panicking, do nothing. From my mother, I'm not sure what I What do you think? Well, Claire, you answer. What do you think she got? Oh, no, from I think parents? a rather lovely combination of the two of them because I think you've got the wisdom of your father. I think you've got the wit and the entertaining quality of your mother. I really do. You know, there's, it's, it, it is, I, I can sit and listen and I know these stories, but I can sit and listen to Alice for hours. Well, I, I which think, is lucky. I think, I think we all are. I mean, when you're together, which of you does most of the talking? Alice. Oh, really? Yes, yes, probably. Well, well, let's let Claire get a word in her dress. What, Claire, is your very first memory? Not something from a photograph. No, I know. Actually, what's in your head? And that's what's difficult, because you know how influenced you are by photos. But but there is a photo of me as a baby alongside my mother's boxer dog, Candy. And I do actually remember, I remember being with the dogs more than I remember humans particularly the dogs and the ponies and that was my childhood I was one of the herd I was I was you know pretending to be a dog <laughs> thinking I was a animal. dog brought yes. up as an animal indeed nothing wrong with that Charles no, no. It's, it teaches well, you lots of things it, it's turned out very well who, <laughs> who there were who therefore were your parents what were they called uh, my father is Ian Balding and he was a racehorse trainer and my mother is Emma, and she was, her maiden name was Hastings Bass. Oh. And my grandmother, who I referred to, was her mother, who was a very tall, imposing, terrifying woman. She was one of the first female members of the jockey club. But she, she was married to, uh, I never met my grandfather, he died very young. And he was called Captain Peter Hastings, and so she was Mrs Hastings. And then a distant relative of his was called Sir William Bass of the Beer family. Yeah. And had no direct descendants and wanted his name carried on. So said oh. to my grandfather, will you take my name? And if you do, you, you, get, the- you, you get the dosh. And my grandmother, and I do think this is classic, she said, I will not have that common brewery name <laughs> attached to mine. So for the rest of her life, she remained Mrs. Hastings. Oh. But all her children were Hastings Bass. So they could get the money. But she had well, the and I don't know what happened to the money, but yeah, I think she could afford to say no as well. well, so well it's like, yeah. But you say racing, it's quite a distinguished racing family. Uh, your father was, who did he train for? Or who did he look after? Explain what he actually did. What, what, what? So racehorse, a racehorse trainer um, has, he never had more than 100 horses in his care. My brother has about 250. It's very different business these days. But he came in to be Captain Peter Hastings' assistant. And he was, my father was a young, he'd been born in America. He oh. was a w- wannabe jockey. Was he American? No. Yeah, he had, uh, uh, yeah, he had two passports. For, oh. Yeah, I mean, But he was at school here. Yes, he came to school here, but he was born in New Jersey. His mother was American. His father was British. But dad came as an assistant trainer. And then my mother's father got very ill really quickly and died and women couldn't hold a trainer's license at the time so my grandmother couldn't take over so dad got the license and my grandmother dealt with the owners and the owners included her majesty the queen as in queen elizabeth ii uh the queen mother actually had a couple of horses uh, later on um but a very wealthy american called paul mellon 
as the Mellon banking family. Absolutely. And various, you know, the Earl of Sefton, I think, had horses with Dad early on. Um, So not that many owners. That's the other thing that had changed. Dad probably, A, he knew all of his owners really quite well, and they would come and they would see their horses, and quite often they would stay. Mum always says, because my mother's 10 years younger than my father. So bear in mind, when he came to work for her father, she was a, you know, she was a schoolgirl. And they didn't, you know, they didn't, obviously, <laughs> obviously didn't start to have a relationship until later. But he would take her back to school, Dad would. And she thought he was fantastic, you know, and he was a real ladies' man and very good looking and very sporty. He'd been a good, really good rugby player. He'd, he got a blue from Cambridge. He'd played rugby for Bath. He was a good cricketer. He was a good rider. Gosh. He was an all-round, you know, and he was a bit different because of the American influence. This is very interesting because these are two golden fathers in different ways. Yes. He, this is another category, almost from a schoolboy comic, this, yes. this figure. Yes, oh, very mm-hmm. much so. Because he could play everything yes. and do... Well, you can imagine uh, Alice's mother and my father got on terribly well, so they'd oh, always God, yes. be sat together at any family gathering because they just flirted with each other. And, How tremendous. And, oh, they adored each yeah. other, yeah. absolutely. So you first caught, saw your mother when she was a schoolgirl. Yeah. Um, but, oh, and he was having girlfriends left, right, But he wasn't centre. married first to anyone else. No, he wasn't married to anyone else. Um... And then he rang his mother. So when my mother was 19, 19 and a half, mm. they got married at 20. He rang his mother to say, I've got engaged. And this is awful, really, because she said, and which one are you marrying, the mother or the daughter? Ooh. I know. And that is quite... And he used to tell me this with great glee, like, really, Dad, I don't want to know that. That, you know, you could have married Grandma. No. How interesting. I know. Well, there we are. There we are. Yeah, I don't know where we go with this, so Lord knows but it's what. a fun one. <laughs> anyway, it is fun. But of course, people did marry much younger then, so marrying at 20 for that sort of Carson so, type of person. Yeah, so uh, mum was 20, he was 30. Yeah. So well, probably for him quite late. Yeah. But he was playing the field. And did you, you know these parents? Are they both oh, still alive? Oh, God, yes. yes. Well, what do they make of you? Yes. Now, give your assessment. We've given her. Oh, She's well, given us hers. So when I first met them, so it was a, a bit terrifying because I don't really know one end of a horse from another. So um, although I'd learnt to ride when I was young and Claire's father was very keen on me continuing my riding. Maybe once very he met keen me. on you. Full stop, <laughs> given what we've heard about him. So I met them, well, very early on in our, in our relationship, but I, I was just thinking, oh... And all I thought, well, this was my father's influence, I suppose, life will be much better. Because I think Claire and I knew very early on we were destined to be together for a long time. Yes. And we were in it for the long run. We were in it for the long haul. And I thought, do you know what? Our lives will be better if our families get on and we get on with each mm. other's families. Because I think that's true in life. You know, you don't need mm. that in a... So, and not that there was ever a problem, but I thought, I'm going to make sure there's not a problem here. I'm going to make them like me. <laughs> so and my, um, my mother was, I think, a bit suspicious early on because A, Alice came from London, and obviously that's, you know, my I wasn't a country girl. And secondly, had, was an actress at that time. And and both those things are a little bit, ooh. Well, I might as well know. have been a prostitute. But, um, <laughs> well, because we know. Actually, well, that is how they were viewed, same really, thing, for a long same time. Same thing. So <laughs> she, I think she was wary of me. But then we had a sort of cottage down in the in the country that we, we rented, rented from Claire's uncle. And it was a pouring with rain one day. And I was out in the garden in a kind of boiler suit digging. And I think when she saw that, it was like, 
oh, you're all right then. <laughs> You can do digging was, in a garden. That was the turning point. And I think um, she forgave me the you actress. Understood the soil. She forgave the actress thing because I was prepared to get muddy. But these are two quite conventional families in an old school way. We yes. have hmm. the, the war hero with yeah. the society mother. And we have, in your case, the Queen's trainer. How did they cope with the gay thing? Um, well, your parents were very used to it, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> By the time I met Claire. You were out and about, <laughs> I was, mildly. I was out and about. My father and I never really talked about it deeply. My mother my mother did. I remember her saying to me, I think you're gay. And how, um, how old were you then? But, oh, I was at university. But, of course, my godmother was already in a... Was a notorious lesbian, in, was she? Well, no, but you know her, Giles. Oh, Oh, <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, well, then, yes. We, oh, yes. So, so anyway, yes. yes. Well, so, I want to explain so the, to the listeners, the this is been, not anybody famous, been, no, but somebody we no. both knew who came out uh, in midlife, Yes, uh, a married person with children, mm-hmm. but decided to run off with the au pair. I think yes. we can share yeah, this with can. the world. It's a cracking and that story. Was my, that was my godmother. So, what year, but what year would that have been? Oh, oh, well, 70s. I was about 16, so, yes, yeah, 78, yeah, 79. That would be about then. Yeah. So, um, yes. So your godmother, was that the first person you came out to? No, no, I didn't come out to my godmother. Um, my mother told me. Because I, I didn't know I was gay then, but when I was at university, and I think I'd broken up with someone and my heart was... My mother could read me like a book, and I think she knew that my heart was broken by something, and she said, darling, I think there's more between you and so-and-so than, than you're telling me. Hello, Giles here, and I'm delighted to tell you that this episode of Rosebud is sponsored by one of the finest hotels in the world, the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel on London's Park Lane. Anyone who's stayed at the Grosvenor House Hotel will know that one of the things that sets this hotel apart is the amazing team of people who work here. The staff of the hotel are part of a rich history. In the 1930s, the head chef was a man called René Lebeg. He once served an all-green dinner in which every course and every drink matched the green of the table linen, crockery and glasses. And in the 1930s, the hotel employed a team of page boys, impeccably dressed in royal blue suits and top hats. One of these was known as Tiny Tim, the smallest page boy in the world. He was only three foot ten inches tall and had a specially made miniature motorbike made for him to commute home from Park Lane to the countryside where he lived. We're delighted that the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel are supporting this series of Rosebud. Do make sure you book with them next time you want a five-star experience in London town. What is the worst memory you have of your childhood? Oh. Oh. Well. No, I won't go in. No. Yes, do. No. Well, my latest, I mean, childhood, 15? That's childhood. All right. You're still at school. Well, so that was when my mother went off with my best friend's father, having had an affair with him for 10 years. That wasn't great. That was a very, very difficult time. Um, So that, but that's, you know, so there were some years there where we were phenomenally unhappy, but I don't want to 
look like I had an unhappy childhood because no. I really didn't. Until that stage, I had an idyllic childhood and my parents both loved me hugely and I always knew that. And what was the happiest moment? Was there a moment when you appeared in a, state in, in a play at school or you won a race? Was there a moment that was, oh, yes. Yeah, I think probably one of them. I, was, I loved my sport and I remember being captain, made, made captain of the Surrey lacrosse team and I remember the pride that I felt in telling my parents about that and, and how proud they were, particularly my father. I always wanted to make my father proud. Claire, what was the glowing moment of your childhood, the happiest moment, the one where you, it comes back to you, yes? I think, well, there are a couple of things. I got into quite a lot of trouble when I was young, you see. So when I first went off to boarding school, I think I felt an enormous pressure to be one of the crowd. So I think I was very susceptible to peer pressure. And to get in with the in-gang um, required doing quite daring things, one of which was shoplifting. And, of course, I got caught. And I got suspended. And only at the beginning of my second year at school. And I remember that being so shameful because also... When I rang home, my parents weren't there. So Vicky, who was my father's terrifying secretary, I mean, the scariest woman, think of, you know, all those films, right, where you get the release. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was her. She came to get me. Oh, my God, that was just horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And the shame of it. And also I thought I was going to be expelled. Um, so that was awful. But by the end of my school days, not only had I made the first team lacrosse, which I loved, I'd been head of house and then head girl. And that was a big deal because you're voted for by the school and by the teachers. So that was a real big turnaround. But my father wasn't ever really interested in my school career in anything. I think he came once and it was horribly embarrassing because he just, you know, he, he just said things that, oh God, you know, Dad, you can't say that. Please don't say that. Please don't. Please don't. Um, and so I was sort of in sort of half wanting his attention and half not in that weird way. But when I started riding in races, which I did as a, you know, 17, 18 year old and started being quite good and won races and won the championship, that was pretty cool. Yeah, because it impressed him. And that was quite hard to do, which is not fair on my mother because it mattered to me hugely what mum thought. But I knew mum would be more, you know, the value for her was my grades, my behaviour improving <laughs> and sort of that keep going until you get where you want to go. So sort of keeping trying to get to Cambridge and eventually making it and then and then having a fantastic time there I had the most brilliant time because I read English so licensed to read <laughs> whatever you but want did you do things at Cambridge were you mm. president of societies and things did I, you... I was president of the union yes yeah. mm. well done thank you and when you were this achieving person at Cambridge what was your ambition for life well I had thought originally I wanted to go into politics Giles and then I met quite a lot of politicians and then I decided I did not want to be oh. no I'm afraid not you not you. you. See, if I'd met you at it the time, you say, it would have been very yeah, it different. Would have been different. <laughs> but also, and this is weird how things influenced you, and it might happen in today's generation of students. We were talking about the post office 
um, drama on ITV yeah. having a greater effect in terms of, mo- you know, actually yeah. making things happen than, than anything the politicians anything have done. Exactly. And there were some politicians so, who actually been talking about this for 10 years, trying to make mm-hmm. things happen. Exactly, and nothing did. And then the drama sort of, you know, lit mm. that fire. When I was at university, um, there was a big campaign in the newspapers it was about dangerous dogs actually so so you know unfortunately rather topical right now but um that had a huge effect and i could see that newspaper campaigns were really influential and what i had gathered from the politicians i'd spoken to but also some work experience i'd done was that you you have to toe the party line and i'm not very good at that i wanted to have a voice that was independent so i was full of you know really big ideas which you should be my idea switched from politics being that way of influencing the world to journalism. I thought if I can write things, and I know, you know, I present sports, you'd say, what does that matter? The great triviality. But actually, there are elements of sport, I think, particularly with the Paralympics, and particularly with women's sport, that have a huge impact on general life. Oh, and it's beyond that. Yeah. I am interested in the Commonwealth. And it was Seb Coe who told me years ago, if you want to get anything done in the Commonwealth, go through the sporting people. Don't go through the diplomatic circles. Don't go through... The sporting people make things happen. Mm. The others just seem to go to banquets and gatherings at high commissions. If you want action, go, and, and I find that is true. Which is why it would be such a shame if, if the Commonwealth Games doesn't continue. Yeah. It, it may be, maybe it's unrealistic to think it can happen every four years, and maybe it's unrealistic to think that it should cost as much as it does, and I do think that is, you know... Um, but it would be lovely to think that some nations that haven't had the chance to host an Olympics or a big multi-sport event mm. could be supported enough to host a Commonwealth Games. That's wonderful because it's 56 countries of such yeah. different sizes Absolutely. and backgrounds. It's, it's fantastic. You know, from Tuvalu to, you know, yeah. South Africa. And I mean, it's great. I love the Commonwealth Games. This and I like all the history of it as well. And like, you know. This is a conversation about first experiences. So what mm. is, uh, Alice, what is your first you remember your first kiss? Your first... Oh, yes, oh. I do. <laughs> That's a yes, quick I do. Yes, it was a chap called Jean Martin Durieux. He had a lot of braces. It was, oh. it was, yeah. Um, and neither of us, I don't think, had ever kissed anyone before. I was about 13. I hope you and, had no braces um, and they didn't. I get didn't ever have braces, but, so but he did. And then he, and then he sort of sent me pictures, and we oh. were little pen pals for it. It was quite, lovely. You got a great name. Sweet. It was quite sweet. Yes. Can you remember your first kiss, Claire? Well, the awful thing is, my first kiss. I think, undoubtedly, uh, and this will sound odd to people who don't love animals, but uh, the first real love of my life was called Frank and Frank I loved because I genuinely thought he understood me and Frank was a pony yeah but you didn't kiss him I did I kissed him not a lot. like that no I kissed him a lot on the nose it was so soft that's not like a proper no. kiss though. well except I think she's telling us it is well I loved him it's no because it's the well, what age are you 10 yeah this is when it all begins isn't it yes infatuations devotion love and the funny thing is, he was a really, really ugly pony. Like, everyone else would have rejected oh. him. And he was quite difficult and naughty. And I adored him. He, he, yeah. And was he good with you? 
Yeah. He understood you. You were oh, on the yeah. same wavelength. So it's that classic, you know, because yeah. I read a lot of these books when <laughs> yeah, I was young. Exactly. You have this connection. <laughs> yeah. I believe that I was. And, and I have Frank. The, Frank will do nothing for anyone else apart from me. Until, he, until he trod on my foot and broke my toe, which he did. Which do. he did. Yeah. But I mean, you came into the stable. He saw you immediately and came towards yes. you. It's fantastic. Yes. Well, given you were surrounded by horses. Yes. But I think probably the first boy I kissed was at Pony Club Camp. It will have been Ben. <laughs> Ben Kempton, I think. Was the, and I remember he said <laughs> me... even named after a race course. <laughs> so there we are. And um, he sent me a poster of roses um, on Valentine's Day. Ooh. Yes, I thought that was rather... I was really... Yes. I mean, I think it was from him. I'm sure it was a from him. A poster of roses. I mean, some people might have actually sent roses, but a poster... Well, not when you're, you know, yeah. 12. No, it's brilliant. Yes. And the poster would last all year. What are you talking yeah. about? Was it's it a proper kiss? No. What do you mean? What's a proper kiss? You mean no, with tongues? Was... That's what you mean? Yeah. I don't was it a proper kiss? So. No, I don't. I don't think one starts with a proper kiss, does one? No. I did with Jean-Martin Durieux. Really? Yeah, but he oh, was yeah. French. And so also he was it, French it was and Dutch. he had to get... Me. He was Dutch. He was your Dutch treat. He had to get... <laughs> Through his braces. He, he had to get it, the tongue beyond <laughs> the braces so that you could yes. feel something was going on. Yes, stop it. Well, clearly you remember that. It's interesting. <laughs> I can remember it. But yeah. I then I then had braces as a teenager, so that made life very difficult. When did you, we heard from Alice, yes. it was the help of our mutual friend, her godmother, <laughs> that she came to terms with being gay. When did you realise that? I think you always knew, didn't you, from a young age, oh, did even you? though you were kissing boys. No, I didn't know till I was at university. That's okay. when I knew. But you had boyfriends up I until I had then. boyfriends. I had boyfriend at university, a lovely yeah. boyfriend at university. Yeah. Um, and then I met a woman and that was... And, and then the, I went back to, for a few men just to check I'd got it right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, I realised I had got it right. But uh, yes, but is it about the person or the gender? In fact, you're telling me now. I think initially it's the person, but I remember the first woman that I fell in love with, and it was such a different feeling from the boyfriends that I had. Two, one or two, I really did love, but um, it was what I describe as the tummy flip. You oh. know, just just seeing them and. And holding the hand or whatever it was a complete tummy flip, and I'd never had that with a with a boy, so it, it seemed a much deeper, deeper feeling than I than I ever had with any of the boys that I I'd think been all, with. Yes, I mean I I had I had a few boyfriends, not not like loads, but I had one very serious boyfriend for two or three years, and you might have become engaged. I mean, you were. well, he asked me to marry him, and he was in the army, and he was going off to. And I thought he's only asking me because he thinks he's in danger. And I meant to, you know, according to the romantic films, I meant to say yes at this point. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to. And I said, look, that's a lovely thing to say, but ask me again when you come back. And when he came back, he didn't ask me again. I thought, thank God. I thought, I don't trust you. And I'll never trust you. And funny enough, I was absolutely spot on, as his ex-wife told me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that long ago. Um, but he... I. I wasn't very nice, I don't think, to men. I think I, I, there was part of me they were never, yeah. they were never going to be allowed to. You were holding have. something back. Yes, always. and whether it was partly experience because that that relationship ended not very well with him being really behaving appallingly. So I think there was I was damaged by that, but that doesn't make you gay. I just think when I first fell in love with a woman, as Alice says, it was completely different, and. Um, for, you, you know, in the first couple of relationships, I mean, I haven't, you know, Alice is by far and away the longest, most serious relationship 
of my life and in many ways the only one in a sense that I would count but it it's also we are you said to me really early on if we are going to be together this is not a secret and any girlfriend I'd had before had very much either they wanted to keep it secret which made it you know we had to or it I didn't think it was necessarily serious enough for it to be public and until you own it as a way until you tell people until you share your love it's not real it's like an affair mm. it's it might be exciting because it's hidden but it's not real it's not legitimate and I think that's where it's very different when you and it's why I would say to people don't don't hide the thing that makes you happiest don't hide your love why would you do that you know, luckily the world has changed a lot and you can be scared of lots of things. But frankly, you cannot be treated badly at work <laughs> because of your sexuality. It's illegal. Um, and you certainly won't be by your friends and anybody who cares about you. And your family, you know, they can say things that are a little bit, you know, daft, but not, it's not, un you know, generally Did they speaking, in the early days with your parents being... I think my mother was very concerned yeah. it would affect my work. I, and that's why I, mean, I, had, I said to her... Into, how far it, it were you into your career by then? By when, the time you came out? Uh, when did we... Get to, we'd been together 21 years. Yeah, so it was... I'd, done, I'd certainly been to Sydney, hadn't I? Oh, so you'd done the Olympics. I'd done the Olympics. You, you, were, you were known... Not, and I was presenting and you were doing the racing. racing. So not, yeah. not yeah. who you are now, but you were certainly... And your mother but, was worried for you, not for the family. Not, you know, here is... We, the, the Queen comes to stay, as it were, comes to call. Um, when did you, can you remember your first meeting with the Queen? Uh, yeah, I would have been very, well, the, the first pony that we had, the pony I learned to ride on was a gift from the Queen. Frank? No, Valkyrie. Oh, Valkyrie. Valkyrie, yes. No, I love Valkyrie very much, but not in the same not way as I love way. Frank, no. Oh. Uh, no, and Valkyrie was a little fat Shetland pony, and she used to... Like I a Thelwell pony? Yes, I used to bring her into the kitchen, which was not allowed, but I quite liked it. Um, so, yeah, I would have met the Queen... For the first time, gosh, probably two or four or around, very young. Yeah, people who met the Queen when she was around horses, so mm. she was a totally different person from if you met her at a garden party or when you were getting your OBE. Was that your experience? And she was... Yeah. Because she was so totally at home. Oh, and she loved also, she loved all the, she loved the, you know, the way the jockeys or the stable lads and lasses were with her, the way she knew, it, I think she loved the naughtiness of racing. You know, you'd, if you stood and watched a race with her, which I have done or had done, um, and she'd say something like, oh, look at Hughesy out the back with his bum in the air, looking like he's got so much horse. And then there's a jockey called Richard Hughes, who was the most beautiful horseman, but he did. He always sat there, a bit like Lester Piggott, very tall, mm. so, you know, at an angle. And, and it made her laugh. And she loved, you know, she loved Frankie de Tory. And Ryan Moore, who never smiles with anybody, used to, you know, the Queen made him laugh. Because I think she'd say to him, don't be so grumpy. <laughs> she liked that world and um, very, very knowledgeable about horses. I remember going, I was doing a documentary on the Queen and Horses and I went to watch the yearlings up at Polehampton had, were being, they were, she was very interested in a horse whisperer called Monty Roberts. And she really got involved in his philosophy of what was called join up where horses would basically come with you because they wanted to and how you made that relationship work. 
And so she started employing those techniques with her young horses before they got to their trainers. And I went and watched yearlings being presented to her and her, you know, her confidence around young horses who frankly could be pretty unpredictable. And this is quite late in life. And even around foals, you know, she'd be straight up to them and feeling their legs and running her hand along their back and watching them walk and watching them trot and seeing how they behaved. Yeah, she really, really had a deep love for racing. And the lovely thing, I mean, you know, King Charles is not, hasn't traditionally been a racing man, but he loves horses and he was a very fine polo player. But he, when he had a winner at Royal Ascot last year, I think it overwhelmed him how much he felt it for the first time, like he really got it. Oh, Oh, gosh, this, this. Take us back 21 years now. This is about firsts. The first moment you two set eyes on each other. We had your very first moment as a baby. This is the very first moment you remember seeing her. Well, she might not remember seeing me. Oh. Because I think what happened was I saw her. Oh. And thought, oh, she's really interesting and rather beautiful. And there's a, there's a you know... Something about her. What was the room? Where was this happening? It was at a bit. It was a BBC thing. A so, party. So a, no, a, not a, a party. Bis- no, it was a show. And in those days, the, you were allowed to smoke inside, and you were sat in the corner having a, a fag. Having a fag. <laughs> um, and then we started chatting, and you know, and Alice, you know, she's very funny, and t- and absolutely ripped me to shreds. And we were friends for, oh God, at least two years before oh. we got together. Mm-hmm. But in my head, this was, a, this, was, this was something I really needed to look after. I needed her to think well of me and I needed to, you know, this So this you made was, the opening move. You walked across the crowded room. Yeah, I did actually, And yeah. saw this person. Uh-huh. And did you know her name? Did you say? No, no. And then when I knew, she, we were both in relationships at the time, so we kind of, we parked anything. Well, you didn't think there was anything to park. I, I no, parked, <laughs> in my head, I parked whatever was sort of, but I remember the next day saying to my friend, Wendy, I said, I think I've just met the woman I want to grow old with. And however long it takes, that's what's going to happen. And was it like falling down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland? Was it that a woof moment or was it more thoughtful than that sounds like it was more thoughtful yeah because more than it the tummy flip that you spoke of y- y- well it couldn't be that because no we had to just be because we were both in other relationships so you yes, were still have to. a moment where you suddenly think mm. <laughs> when, when she came over and you were smoking your i cigarette. didn't think anything giles really? i absolutely totally didn't think anything <laughs> i didn't think anything for then had you heard she of came her? To, had you seen her not really no and then she came to dinner and um and i thought you were quite funny i thought she was quite as I called her, a cocky little upstart. I mean, she was very confident, which she still is, and Mm. I love that about her. But when I first met her, I was like, that's quite confident. Um, And, yeah, I just thought you were great at what you did. I knew that, which is always important, I think, to to respect somebody's work or whatever. But that that a relationship with her was so not on the cards for me 
at that point that I wasn't looking at her in that way at all. I just knew I liked her and she was fun and she wrote good emails. So I, you were doing the Sydney Olympics yeah. and I was at the BBC and I was getting these emails there from was Claire that I thought, you don't oh, they're, start they're writing funny. good emails from across the world in the middle of the Olympics if you haven't <laughs> got something, ul- well, you knew you had something ultimately. No, mind. I was writing emails to a lot of my friends and it was like a group email thing. Oh. days before WhatsApp, you know, or blogs or, yeah. or podcasts. So this was my outlet for for what was really going on at the Olympics, you know, and this yeah. is my experience. And God, I ought to find them actually. There's probably some quite good stuff yeah. in there. But Alice's ones were were I was being extra funny in her ones. Yes, yeah, of I did. You were. I did, you know edit. And when did the gear little. change? Uh, well, when when your relationship ended. Yeah, my relationship ended, and. Um, and I made sure I was the shoulder to cry on. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. and you went round to her. She place? came. No, no, she came to my place. <laughs> saying, you, I've, I've got a shoulder. And yes, you I've cry got a shoulder. Well, where are you? Outside your front door. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And then she came, um, and I was living in in a flat on my own, actually. But um, and I, I don't really drink, so I didn't have any alcohol in the in the flat. And Claire came in, and and she, I said. Look, I haven't got any drink, so why don't I go and get some? I'll go to the off-licence and you stay here. But Claire took that as you stay here forever. So she never left. So basically, I went out to get a bottle of wine, and when I came back, her toothbrush was unpacked. She was basically <laughs> moved into my She flat. said I could stay. <laughs> 21 years later, here so, we are. Exactly. She moved in hey, and never moved exactly. out. Charles, it worked. <laughs> Well, this is yes, the way to do I it. was a bit surprised, but there we go. But you took it. I, well, it, I took, took it, it took a while for Alice to be convinced that that I might be a good option. To be fair, and didn't well, it? Well, that it anyone at that stage anyone. that okay. anyone was a good option, it took me a while to yeah, be convinced of that. And then, but Claire was. Can you remember when you first said "I love you"? Yeah, I think. Oh, it, I can. Yeah. I can remember when I said "I love you." You took me to the dry ski slope. Oh, that's right, yeah. I'd had a terrible skiing experience and just awful. I hated it, absolutely hated it. And Claire wanted to take me skiing. And she said, we'll go to the dry ski slope in Milton Keynes to, you know, to see if you can have a go and see if you like it's it. It's better. It's got snow, actually. It's the indoor yeah. one, but yes, it's yeah. got snow. Yeah. Oh, sorry, not the dry yeah, ski yeah. set. The ski set at Milton Keynes. And, and Claire was so sweet with me and kind and lovely and gentle. And I think I said on the card and on uh, the way back, yes. I think I love you. I think and I'd was, said it 1,500 yeah. times by then, obviously, because <laughs> oh I, I used to leave notes on oh the no. stairs. Waiting for the reply, yeah. waiting <laughs> for the, <laughs> yes. you know, you don't say this without there being a, I love you, oh uh, yes, and then, oh. <laughs> would, you like, would you like sugar oh. in your coffee? <laughs> exactly. You could have, I was the dog that was constantly coming up saying, you know. In, in your 21 years, what's the happiest moment, Alice, your happiest moment of your 21 years together? There have been loads of really, really happy moments. Um, So, you know, I could pick tiny moments in restaurants when we've been on holiday somewhere or just having a magical meal like we did in Cuba. Cuba, on the roof. We we ate on a rooftop in Cuba in someone's house and they took us up onto the roof and there were only the two of us and their son played the guitar and he came up and serenaded us and there was a full moon yeah, and it was like God, it's so one of those it, it, it was, was so but lovely. it was one of those experiences you weren't expecting oh. and then it became 
it was so special. Yeah. But all, you know, also our our party when we when we did our civil partnership at Chiswick House, yeah. and we had a big party the next day. And Chiswick. that was lovely because your wonderful. your cousins came from America. My yeah. aunts and cousins came over. All of you know, and because it was our civil partnership and our party, we could do what we wanted to do. So we didn't want a load of people at the service. We just wanted a party the next day. And we wanted it in Chiswick House, which was closest to us, where we walked the dog So every we could walk day. there. Mm. Yeah, so we could walk there and walk back. And it was so lovely. And when marriage was introduced, did you think of... We did upgrade. Yes, we did. did. But that was just going to a registry office. Fine. And actually what they went to Wagamama's for lunch after. So you are now a married couple. Yes, Yes, we are. And do you call yourselves... Do you have have you shared your surname? No, No. we haven't. Balding Arnold? It's quite a a rather good sound. It is quite good. And maybe introduce the name Bass into it and there could be some money involved. (laughs) Exactly. Balding Arnold Bass. Yes, I think so. Bass Foster's. I think... (laughs) Before we get to the big final question... When you're alone together, what do you talk about? Everything, actually. We talk about a lot. Well, we talk about our plans because we, we've got big plans for knocking down and building a house and mm. all of that. Talk about that. Yeah, you're creating moment. your own forever home. Uh, uh, this be the first home you've actually made together. No, no, no actually, no. The house we live in now, we, we um, gutted it and did it exactly how we wanted it. Yeah. yeah. So this is our just... Our, our last home rather than our yes. forever I think because there's a hospice across the way so <laughs> when we leave it we'll just wheel ourselves this across the, and this really uh, is the end of the you know this is where we're going to properly grow old and die together yes yeah. Yeah. jolly thought so we talk about that at the moment well there's we'll a slight age difference between you so one might I, mean, I don't know which is older eight, than the other eight years but one um, is older than the other I'm older um, but uh, but to be fair probably I'll be looking after Claire rather do than do you think the so but you're the one who do. used to smoke did you smoke as well not really. No, I mean, exactly. you know. no, but I, I'm well, much fitter than Claire oh. at the moment. Do you do you exercise together? We do. No, well, not really. no, we do Pilates, but she's in the intermediate group, and I'm still a beginner. And that's oh. having been doing it for two years. I'm still. A beginner. Do you do everything together? Do you do do you have breakfast together, lunch together, tea together? We don't tend together? to have breakfast, oh. uh, but yes, we we and we play golf together. Yeah, we uh, do play golf lot. together a Alice lot. Alice is better than me. She's an intermediate golfer as well. <laughs> no, she, her golf handicap is, is really quite low and mine is just average. So you share your passions? Yes. We do, I mean, if we go on holiday together, we can absolutely do exactly what we want and it will be the same thing together. What do you think is her greatest quality? I think her positivity... Uh, my hopeless optimism. <laughs> yeah, but it's lovely because it counteracts my realism. Um, and also her kindness. She's phenomenally kind. She will do things for other people where I'll go, you know, really, we haven't got time. You don't even know them. You know, all of those things favours, because Claire is asked constantly for favours and I have to be the gatekeeper of that. Claire would do everything that anybody asked her to oh, do. Now we're all going to cry, aren't we? So, what, what do you think Claire is Alice's great Fiercely, quality? fiercely loyal. And really, yeah. And would protect me beyond... You, you know, quite often we'll get really angry on my behalf with somebody who she thinks is not, is, is not you know, being respectful or, or is, is trying to... You know, she would she would protect me beyond, and it's an incredible quality to have. It's like having your own little guard dog. It's amazing. (laughs) 
I've got your back. Yes, she has got my back. Well, we're going to end now. And I'm going to ask each of you, please, for what you think is the Valentine's Day week. What is the secret of a successful relationship? And you clearly have managed it. 21 years and you're looking forward to the future. You expect to die with each other. Yes. And it'll be very sad when one goes first. That's the terrible payoff. When you get to my age, uh, Michelle and I think about this rather too often because we have a lot of friends who... Mm. we. Uh, I mean, I do a lot of memorial services. Uh, it's actually what keeps me going. <laughs> it's quite nice to think I'm, st- I'm still here. But See it, all your old friends. <laughs> it, it isn't fun. Widowhood yeah. and widowerhood no. is not fun at all. Um, so that's the bitter payoff to a good relationship. But clearly your marriage works wonderfully. What do you think is the su- secret of the success of a good marriage? I know what you're saying about widowhood because a few of our friends have been bereaved recently and lost their long-term partners and I can't conceive of the pain that that would be mm. if I lost Claire. I, uh, my life, our lives are completely entwined with each other and I, for me that is the success yeah. of it. That, that, and the longer it goes on, the more successful it is because the more history that you have, you know, you don't have to explain anything anymore. We know our families inside out. We know, you know, all of those things. There's, it's just that person who goes along life with you is and the success. A communication, if you want to put it in a kind of... To use a sporty speak. term, I would say being, on, being a team, yeah. Trying to achieve the same goal. But I think we are amazingly open and honest with each other. And I do think that that is easier sometimes when you're two women or indeed two men. Not all the time. And I'm sure you, Michelle... Pack that a little bit. Well, I just think... I think men and women do think differently. I think Mm. they have different priorities. And I think sometimes that is challenging in in relationships. And I'm not saying... straight relationships never work of course they do but I think there are challenges that are not challenges for us it's interesting you know who knows what either of us would have done or been or achieved had we not found each other but I have absolutely no doubt that what we have managed to do in the life we have created is a million times better because we've had each other well, I'm very glad you found each other and then that you found me. So we've had our lovely <laughs> Valentine's Day conversation. Alice, Claire, Arnold Balding Bass. <laughs> Thank you both very much indeed. Wasn't that fascinating? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Anyway, before I go, oh, it's time for some of your emails. We've had an email from Annabelle in Penarth, South Wales. My earliest memories are of the very hot summer of 1959 when I was two and my sisters were four and six. My poor mother was pregnant in all that heat. We used to be put to bed in the afternoon and I can clearly remember lying on my bed with the sun beating through the closed curtains. Some evenings, when my father came home from what must have been a hot, sticky day working in a bank, he used to take the three of us little girls rowing on the nearby river in a hired rowing boat with a wrought iron seat we would sit in a row, all three of us, enjoying the marginally cooler air, watching Dad row under the shady trees. Wasn't that a kind thing for him to do, to give my mother a break? 
At the end of the summer, my brother was born at home, which I don't remember at all. But I do remember the same week, the arrival of our first magnificent refrigerator. A Kelvinator. Much more exciting, clearly. Oh, I love that, Annabelle. What marvellous recollections. And I love the detail of the wrought iron seat. It's the kind of thing as a small child. You can actually remember the feel of that. And I'm particularly amused that your brother's birth meant nothing to you, whereas the arrival of that magnificent refrigerator, the Kelvinator, well, that was everything. next week, just think about what your first memory might be. And do share it with us. You can email us easily. It's hello at rosebudpodcast.com. By the way, thanks for listening. Rosebud is produced by Harriet Jane, artwork by Freya Betts, and music by Phil Leppard. <laughs>